Would you please, would you please, would you please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1? Colossians 1 is where we're going to spend our time in God's Word today. And in case you're not alert, I'm going to warn you a little bit. We're going to do a bit of Q&A today. Uh, you don't have to answer out loud, but I know for some of us, we like to get those answers right uh, when we are asked. I think that some of the questions we're going to ask are ones that are typically asked among people that are outside of the church setting. And so I would encourage you to know the answers to these questions because it's quite possible that the light of Jesus Christ that might reside within you very much so could be a help to someone who is living in darkness. Before we go over to Colossians, I want to ask you to use your imagination with me of the time of Christ's life. It's an exciting time. Of course, the disciples very much so uh, were following Jesus, and they were excited that this could be their deliverer. The Messiah was there. Each of those disciples had received a call to follow him. Leave what you're doing, follow after me. And they would answer that call. And if I can ask you to use your imagination with me, I love to try to think of what went on in their minds when they were following Jesus. It's kind of those white spaces between the words in your Bible. What happened in those white spaces? Imagine with me a conversation one night that was taking place between two brothers. And as Andrew and Peter lie down on the ground for bed one night, imagine one of those brothers, maybe Andrew, asking this question, Peter, Peter, what did you think of Jesus today? Now, the day that I have in mind is when they went to Bethany, Jesus Christ had a friend who was sick. And he was told that when he was still sick, and Jesus delayed, and that friend actually died. His name was Lazarus. And Jesus tells his followers, we are going to go to Bethany. And they weren't sure why, because Lazarus had already died. But as they go, the disciples are able to view a miracle. The dead coming back to life. How beautiful this would be for them. And can you imagine... One brother going to sleep at night. Maybe Peter's trying to sleep because he's exhausted. And Andrew just saying, Peter, what did you think of Jesus today? They were in a dangerous place. They were going somewhere that all of the disciples told Jesus, you shouldn't go there. They're going to kill you if you go there, Jesus. They were heading back to Jerusalem. Christ had been there before, Christ had made friends, and Christ had made enemies. And it was a dangerous place for them to go. And all of them said, don't go there, but Jesus said, I'm going. And then wonderful Thomas, that we call Doubting Thomas, he spoke up and he said, how about all of us go along with him? And if we die with Jesus, then we die with Jesus. Can you imagine the devotion of these disciples? going back to Jerusalem, 
And now, after Lazarus was raised from the dead, after they had observed this miracle, they're about to enter into Jerusalem. And it's a beautiful picture. This is the triumphal entry. I want to give a challenge to you leading up to Resurrection Sunday that you read through an account of the crucifixion of Christ, and maybe even you can start today. Start with the triumphal entry. I did this this past week, and if you start where I started in Matthew 21, you might be a little bit surprised at how much goes on between the triumphal entry and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. There's miracles that Jesus performs. His popularity is growing. There's incredible teaching that He gives like no other teacher that had ever spoken to them before. Jesus gets into debate. He debates some of these that were His enemy. And who always won that debate? It was always Jesus. And Jesus Christ finds Himself on the receiving end of questions that had only the intention of tripping Him up. The Sanhedrin would regularly send professionals, some lawyers, some professional debaters to go and get with Jesus and they wanted to grab a hold of something so that they could take this guy down a notch. Jesus was cutting in on their business. They knew he was a threat. And so they tried to fool him. And there was something that Jesus said that stopped those trick questions. We find it in verse 41 of Matthew 22, where Jesus asked them a question. And here's the question that he asked. It sounds a lot like that question that I started with a little bit ago from one of the brothers. Jesus asks these that were his enemy, what do you think of the Christ? And I want to pull us all in today around that question. I want to ask you to ask yourself, what do I think of the Christ? Now, the God of the universe has clearly revealed Himself. And today in God's Word in Colossians chapter 1, we're going to see how God revealed Himself to man, and we're going to see the purpose for this revelation. It was so that man could be reconciled to a God that loves him. And so questions and answers. Question number one for you today. How can we know there is a God? Is this a question anybody here has heard before? Can we really know for sure that there is a God? I can almost guarantee you're going to interact with somebody who has asked this question and very possibly somebody who is asking it on this day. Can we know this for sure? If one considers himself to be an agnostic, he says God cannot be known. We cannot know if there is a God unless I see it with my eyes, observe a miracle for myself, then we could not possibly know. Now, the pantheist, he says we can know God. We can know God because God is everywhere. God's in you, and He's in me. He's in this piano. He's in that chair. 
And of course, when God is in everything, it really means there is no God. But can we get an answer to this question? The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church at Colossae, and something had happened in that church that had taken Jesus Christ from being top, preeminent, knocking out everything else, and there were some other things that they were trying to push into an equal place with Christ. That's why the letter was written. Pastor Epaphras really struggled with this. He didn't know what to do, so he went to Paul, and he said, Paul, can you help me out here? And so Paul writes this wonderful letter to try to get them to put Jesus Christ where he should be. Look at verse 15 and verse 19 with me. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's verse 19. We find that God is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, before Jesus Christ came, we could not know God. Man was not able to clearly see God at any point. Well, at any point except for if we go all the way back to the beginning. Do you remember back in the beginning? Do you remember that first couple that God made, Adam and Eve? Did they see God clearly? Oh, they did. They were able to walk with God in the cool of the day. And in Genesis chapter 3, sin comes into the world. And when sin enters the world, they had to exit the garden. And there was an angel put there to guard the tree with a flaming sword so that no man would ever go in there again. I think we'll get to talk to Adam someday. And so we might get to ask him this question. What did you miss the most from when you were in the garden to the point where you could no longer go back to the garden? What did you miss the most? Because work got hard. We know that work was created before sin came into the world, but work wasn't hard. Work got harder. The ground got hard to work. There was so much that came from the curse. But I think if we're able to ask Adam, what did you miss the most from when you were in that perfect environment of the garden to after you were cast out? There's no doubt in my mind that what Adam's going to say is, I missed spending time with my God. And I think that this is in the deepest part of every man. While no man would seek for God on his own, man is searching. Man is looking for answers. That void that only God can fill. And that's why man has so many more questions than answers today. Questions like, why is it that I don't do the things that I know I'm supposed to do? I'll do it sometimes. I'll make a a New Year's resolution, and I'll do it for a while, but I fail. I fail to live the life I want to live. 
Or how about this question? What's the meaning of life? Is there anything more than this 60 or 80 years that we are given here in this world? Is there anything behind it all? And man asks the question, but they cannot find the answer so often. How about this one? I've spent decades or I've spent my lifetime trying to find happiness. And yet nothing that I have found has genuinely brought happiness in my life. Man has a void within and man is searching. And it is because man has been separated from God. Can we really know if there is a God? The answer is yes. We can know for sure that there is a God, even though He's called the invisible God. We know that God exists because Jesus Christ opened the door to God the Father. The invisible God made visible. How is it that the finite can understand the infinite? It is not because of religion. It's not because of reason. It is because of revelation. God was revealed to you and I through the person of Jesus Christ. It says there, He is the image of the invisible God. In verse 19, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When we look to Jesus Christ, we understand that He was pretty specific about how man got to heaven. Following the triumphal entry, Jesus Christ, in John chapter 14, He speaks to His disciples and He tells them, I'm going to be taken off. I'm going to be going somewhere. And He tells them, you, you, guys, you guys know where I'm going and you know the way. And they were confused. At that point, I think they thought Christ was going to be some great dominant leader in the world. And they were going to be top general and assistant generals after that, taking over the world. Christ says, I'm going to go. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where I'm going, you know the way. And then Thomas pipes in. And Thomas says, Jesus, we, we, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't, we don't know the way. Tell us the way. And it's at that point Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes unto the Father but through me. Can you really believe something that narrow in our day? Are you allowed to be that narrow in the day and in the place where we live? Nobody gets to heaven except through this Jesus Christ religion. I want to suggest to us that all of us are narrow in some ways. As you go through life, there will be more and more ways that you become more narrow. Let's, uh, let's talk about medicine. Let's talk about the medical field. Let's say you have a, a problem that's bothering you. It's a pain, something going on. And so you go to the doctor and you get it checked out. And they come back and they say, we got the results from your test. We figured out what it was. Oh, okay. They explain that to you. And you say, well, what do we do about this? And they say, well, 
you know, there's 10 or 12 different good medicines out there. Why don't you just, you know, take your pick and, and pray for the best? See if something works there. We don't want to put you in a box when it comes to the medicine we're going to prescribe for you. So you just pick whichever one you want and you take that one. How many of you like the diagnosis of that doctor? Do you like that or no? No. Do you want your doctor to be narrow-minded? Yeah. I don't want for me to pick the medicine that's going to help me out. I want for him, the expert, to tell me what's going to fix my problem. And you and I, when it comes to the most important matter that any human being will ever face, we need to not leave this up to chance. We need to not say, well, Jesus Christ is a way to God, which is what many will want to say. And it sounds a little bit nicer. It sounds a little bit nicer maybe initially when you say it, but is it nice when you understand that someone's going to spend eternity in a place called hell because you did not share with them that Jesus Christ is the only way? Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that sounds narrow. But the Word of God is very narrow when it talks about what we need to believe regarding eternal life. When we look at what Paul is telling them, he says, you can know who God is. And then he goes on to let us know God isn't just one that is revealed by Jesus Christ, but God is one who has you in mind in His plan. Jesus Christ opens the door to the Father, but what else is He doing? That's the next question. If there is a God, then what's He up to? Big question. And it's a good question, really. If there is a God, what's He been doing? What's He going to do? And honestly, most importantly, what's He doing right now for me? We find the answers to this in 16 and 17 of Colossians 1. And this is a big answer. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Did you notice a lot of personal pronouns in that section there? The pronoun Him comes up quite a bit. Did, did you think that this whole life that you're involved in was about you? Very clearly, we are a part of something greater than ourselves. Everything that has been involved in the past and in the future and in the present revolves around Him, Jesus Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves today, what do we think of Christ? He's the creator of all things, it says there. And then in verse 17, it says, in Him all things hold together. What is it that's keeping everything together? Why are we not just floating up in the air right now? Why can we take another breath? 
Because God is holding all things together, his, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. The, there was some news from the American Meteor Society this past week. Maybe some of you saw that news. I've got a photograph here of what some people thought was a meteor that took place this past week. Maybe some of you saw the uh, video footage on the news. This is not a meteor that was traveling over Portland and Seattle that the people observed. What you actually see here has been technically called space junk. Space junk. It was a beautiful picture. I, I encourage you to go and look it up. The best that man can do with the resources that God gives him is make space junk that will catch on fire and travel in space a little ways. But what can God do? Our God is so amazing that He not only is taking care of the past and the future, but He cares about you today. You must understand that the reason that the earth is in the exact right distance from the sun right now, it's not a little bit closer so that it burns up, it's not a little bit further away that it freezes. The reason the earth is in the right place this very moment that I am speaking is because Jesus Christ holds it in that place. Who is it that causes the plants to go through the process of photosynthesis? so that we could have air to breathe. Who does that? It is Jesus. And who is it that keeps your heart beating? The only reason your heart beats another time is because Jesus Christ is holding all things together. We find a great commentary verse in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 26 where it talks again about the stars of God's creation. It says this, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. It's a beautiful picture here of God's creation. I saw not too long ago an opportunity for a gift. It's a gift for the person who has everything. What is it that you could give somebody who doesn't seem to need anything? Well, there's a group that you can send a check to or a credit card number, and what they will do is, is they will take a star that's way out there, that has not yet been named, and they will name that star after you or after a person of your choosing. And they'll, they'll write that down in a book somewhere. And then that star, way out there, that star will have a name, maybe your name. Too late. The Word of God tells us that Jesus Christ knows every star, and He knows them by name. It is so amazing for us to consider His might and His power. And that's what Paul is telling them. He is mighty. He is big. He is so much greater than any of us. If there is a God, and there is, then what is He up to? Jesus Christ has been central in the past in creation. 
He was central at the cross at our salvation. He will be central in the future when He reigns. And today He is central holding all things together. Paul writes, all things were created by Him and for Him. And so if there is a God, and there is, and He's active in history, and He reveals the Father to us, well, so what? And that's the last question. What does this mean for you? Or what does this mean for me? I hope you can see how Paul is setting this up to the church at Colossae. God is big. He created all things. He's so much greater than you and I. And in order for God's big plan to continue, He must die. What does that have to do with you and me? Look at verse 18. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, (laughs) He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you blameless. What do you have to do with this? The God who made every seed that has ever been on the face of the earth. He made every branch on every tree. That God is being nailed to a tree. The very God who created every drop of water in every river and in every ocean, that very God hangs on a tree and says the words, I thirst. The one who spoke the sun into existence is now hanging there in the noonday heat blistered by the sun. What does all this have to do with you, with me? The maker of all things is dying. And He's dying for you. Peace is made between man and the Father because of the sacrifice of God the Son. What does it have to do with me? Jesus loves me. And if you've never heard it before, let me tell you for the first time today, Jesus loves you. And Jesus has at the center of His passion reconciling you with the Father. And so if you can picture this, picture Jesus Christ grabbing a hold of sinful man on one side. And the work He does on the cross, He holds on to sinful man and He grabs a hold on to a holy God. And what God does, or what Jesus Christ, the God, God the Son, did, is He brings them together. 
What does it have to do with you? Everything. He loves you so much that he paid the ultimate price. I think that possibly the disciples talked to one another, maybe two brothers. And I think they would have said, what did you think of Jesus today? And I know that Jesus Christ stumped his accusers by saying, what do you think of the Christ? But can I just pull us together today and ask this question, what do you think of Christ? What is Jesus to you? If I could ask you just to seriously ponder this at some point in the quiet of the day, in the upcoming days. Jesus Christ did not just save you so that you could celebrate Christmas and Easter. Jesus Christ saved you and gave his blood to make peace between you and the Father so that you could have a life that has meaning, a life with purpose. It is not about you, it is about him, and you and I are blessed to be part of this incredible plan. Yes, we can know that there is a God because Jesus Christ revealed, revealed the Father to man. Yes, we can know what God has been doing. He's been having a perfect plan from the past, in the future, and today He uses you and me. What does this have to do with you and me? Well, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior today, then you've realized that wonderful, wonderful gift of grace. And if you know Christ, it very well could be that He wants you to share that with somebody. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ died for sinful man so that man could be reconciled to a holy God. And there is nothing that we can bring to pay for that in our own hand. It is only by accepting that free gift. If you genuinely love somebody, you're not going to let them continue down a road where they're choosing their own medicine to fix their problem. We need to be narrow-minded. That's what love is. Answer the question, what do I think of Christ? Do you know Him? Do you love Him? Let's pray. Oh, our faithful and wise and patient and merciful Father, we look to you now so grateful that Jesus Christ told his followers he was going to leave, prepare a place for them, and we thank you that he is seated now at your right hand, Father. We thank you for the work that was done, that he called out, it is finished, and we praise you that he did not stay in the tomb, but he rose from the dead, conquering death, conquering sin. And we thank you that you allow us to receive this message. I praise you, Heavenly Father, for whatever avenue you've used to present this message to people hearing this message today. I praise you for that. For some, they heard it from a family member for the first time. For some, they might have heard it in a church setting. Maybe some heard it through a faithful witness at work. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing this message to reach us. And Father, would you please work in our hearts now to be convicted to not keep this message to ourselves. What can we do that will last for all eternity? Simply share this gift that so many of us have received so that others might have forgiveness and eternal life. I want to give you a chance to pray this morning. It might be something in our text that we talked about that God has convicted you about. Holy Spirit might be working in your heart. Please take time, even in the stillness of this moment, to pray. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He died for you because He loves you and He wants you to spend eternity with Him. And the Bible says all you need to do is ask for forgiveness. Admit you're a sinner. Thank Him for dying for your sins and He will make you His son or His daughter. There's no more important decision and there's no other way to the Father but through Jesus Christ.